mostly the journal was started in the desperate effort to be actually writing. And mm-hmm. because I tell people, well, I'm a writer. And they say, oh, well, what's your name? And I tell them, and they say, well, I've never heard of you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I just wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. And the journal sustained me. I'm Dave Buddha, and this is Darken the Page, the podcast about the creative process and where great art comes from. Today's conversation is with Charlie Kempthorne. I first heard about Charlie after reading an article about him in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, my mom actually cut it out of the newspaper and gave it to me. The title was uh, The Power of Daily Writing in a Journal. Charlie has been keeping a journal for 52 years and by his rough calculations, he's written about 10 million words. And he's currently writing about 1 million words a year. So it's, it was really amazing to, to talk to Charlie and also to hear his life experience. And you know, we talked a lot about what writing was like 50 years ago, 40 years ago. Something, something that, you know, living in the age of, uh, you know, the Internet's been around for pretty much most of my adult life, all my adult life. Um, it's amazing to see how things were different. Uh, Charlie now helps senior citizens recall and record their life experience by encouraging them to share it uh, through writing and then you know, shows them the power of journal writing. So speaking of journaling, today's episode is sponsored by Penzu. It's the world's most popular online journaling platform. Kind of a perfect match to Charlie's episode. Penzu allows you to write entries in a secure password protected place that you can access from anywhere. Sign up for free at penzu.com, P-N-Z-U.com. And if you decide to go pro and upgrade, use the term darken for $5 off. And now, here's my conversation with Charlie Kempthorne. So tell me a little about how you got started. I always wanted to be a writer, always. Age four, five, loved words wanted to be a writer, was in love with the writing life, and which in those days, back in the 40s and 50s, was really pretty simple. Mm-hmm. You know, you wrote a novel and you sent it off to New York. There were about a dozen publishers, and uh, they uh, rejected it or accepted it, and that was it. But I always wanted that, and I identified myself. I was Charlie Kempthorne, the writer. I was not anything else really i mean i had relationships you know more or less good uh with friends and later on with wives and children and all that Mm -hmm. but uh i'm core identity was a writer well that was really after a lot of analysis of my own and various psychiatrists and friends Mm -hmm. and just life i began to feel maybe that was not a good thing in some ways because my life depended on writing, just as you mentioned, I think you said something a moment ago about uh, our life didn't depend on writing. Well, mine did, mm-hmm. and it depended on being the world's greatest living writer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're, you're between a rock and a hard place if you're like that, and that's where I was. And so when it came down to writing, uh, really writing, uh, I couldn't do it. I was, I've been married several times. My first, I was married at 19, married this lady. Uh, I was in the Navy at the time, so I couldn't write because I was in the Navy. 
correct? Mm-hmm. Well, obviously not. And I wrote letters home. And in those days, of course, unless you made a carbon copy of the letter, which was cons- would would have been considered ridiculously egotistical. <laughs> uh, so there's just, you know, and I'm sure my first wife threw all the letters I wrote to her away. Yeah. So uh, ex-wives tend to do that. Mm-hmm. And so that was that. Uh, but when I got out of the Navy and started college at Kansas State in, in my hometown of Manhattan, uh, as an English major, creative writing intention and all that, mm-hmm. uh, at a certain point I decided, and this is pretty nutty, and in fact that's, uh, well, you'll see why in a minute, but uh, I decided I had to get rid of my wife, I had to get I had a child, uh, I had to get, everything had to go, and I was going to sit down in my living room at the kitchen table, which I moved into the living room, and I was going to write. I bought a ream of paper, got my typewriter out, lined my stuff up, and I just froze solid. Couldn't write a line. Couldn't even put a... Because it had to be perfect. It had to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did not write. I sat there and smoked. I was 20... Uh, two years old, or I guess a little older than that. No, I'd gone, that's right, I was 24 by then, because I'd gone up to the University of Wisconsin for a year or two. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, I froze totally solid, Dave, and uh, was a, uh, within a couple of three months, uh, as it happens, in Kansas, there was at that time one of the best mental hospitals in the world, mm-hmm. and that's where I went. And uh, that, too, was part of the whole writing uh, persona is not quite the right word, but it, being in psychoanal, uh, psychoanalysis in that time was sort of cool. We didn't have the word cool, yeah. but we had the, the concept, you know. And so I went down to Menninger Clinic, a uh, great psychiatric clinic in Topeka, just 50 miles away. And, uh, you know, it wasn't like rehab. You go to rehab now or something and you stay 28 days. You stayed I stayed uh, a full year in the hospital, wow. and I stayed three more years in uh, psychotherapy there. And even then, four years later, left what they used to call AMA. I don't know if they have that uh, against medical advice. They wanted me. Psychoanalysis is, a, as you may know, is a very long-term mm-hmm. process. It can take 10, 11 years or even a lifetime if you can afford it. Mm-hmm. And, but I didn't stay around, and but I continued even after, I don't know if, stop me if you want me to go in another direction, but the whole reason I'm a journaler rather than a fiction writer, which I would still like to do some, I have written some fiction, but mostly the journal was started in the desperate effort uh, to be actually writing, and mm-hmm. because I'd tell people, well, I'm a writer, and they'd say, oh, well, What's your name? And I tell them, and they say, well, "I've never heard of you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what do you, what do you, what do you write?" You know, and I'd have to say, "Well, well, you know, I took creative writing. I went through the University of Kansas, which had a very good writers' workshop, uh-huh. and then I went later on to the University of Iowa, which is supposed supposed to be the best. I don't know whether it is. Yeah. They have the most money, <laughs> and uh, so I went all the way through that. I was Charlie Kempthorn, MA, MFA out there teaching, even teaching creative writing. And I'd only published, you know, uh, two or three stories in nothing magazines. One or one mag was fairly respectable, but mm-hmm. I just wasn't going anywhere. 
Yeah. And the journal sustained me. And in the journal, I, A, didn't have to show it to anybody, didn't have to defer to anybody's judgment, uh, didn't have to finish anything or start anything. I could write aga, aga, boo, aga, boo, boo, aga yeah. for 50 lines. I tried to make myself, you know, write 500 words a day and write every day. Well, that really didn't work for many years. I mean, mm-hmm. I would write a couple of years. I'm getting ahead of the story, but somewhere in there, I quit the university, left the academic world, probably scared of what might happen there, too, and uh, went to farming, which is totally unsuited for. Married a hippie, uh, mm-hmm. and she at least grew up on a farm. She's sitting here in the room now. And uh, we... Uh, took up farming and raising kids, and I almost quit writing for two or three years. I, I would write a few words every day. I wrote letters still. They had letters then. And, but then in 86, that's 25 years mm-hmm. later, 15 years later, whatever it is, yeah. in 86, I happened to almost by mistake, uh, buy, I bought a word processor. And uh, we were in Sears Roebuck, and my wife was shopping, and I was taking care of the kids. And I got to fooling with this machine, and in a half hour, we walked out with that. And, boy, my writing took off because I could write fast. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was easy, and I didn't like – I never really was a devotee of longhand writing, but uh, I just zoomed, and that, that next year I wrote. Uh, I was writing a thousand words or more a day, and and then it gradually picked up steam. You know, now I, this year I'm trying to write three thousand a day. I don't know. That's a mm-hmm. that's a million a year. You know, and it's yeah. pretty arbitrary and kind of dumb. Yeah. But the it, the truth is, the faster I write, the more, the better I write. Even mm-hmm. though I don't judge it, I do judge it. You know. And, sure. And it's more creative. Yeah, I, creativity is just a killer for me. If somebody says go in the next room and be creative, I may as well, you know, tell me to go in there and bleed to death. Because yeah, it, yeah. It just, it's, and I know some of the other people you've talked to mentioned that mm-hmm. that problem. And yeah. So I write the journal. That's what I do, and yeah, it's an end end in itself. I, uh, but it had, you know, I. I at 78, you got to start thinking about what your legacy is if you're going to have one. And and uh, my health is fair, but, you know, I'm 78. And I think mostly uh, my kids. The book that I wrote uh, and self-published a couple of years ago and I'm peddling coast-to-coast right now, uh, narrative journaling, mm-hmm. the examples in there are mostly stuff about my kids and for my kids, and uh, I think they've, uh, to the extent that they've seen that, and some of them may not have read it, in spite of my best efforts, but to the extent that they've seen that, uh, it's done its work, you know, it helps, I, I believe history helps. Today's episode is brought to you by Penzu, P-E-N-Z-U dot com. Penzu is the world's most popular online journaling platform. And I really want to emphasize something Charlie talked about in this episode. Um, and that's the idea that a writer writes. It sounds obvious, but it's worth seeing that Charlie was at a crossroads in his life where he wanted to be writing, but didn't want to wait for a publisher to accept his work. 
And, you know, the only way to get better at writing is to write. So it, it's this kind of weird time that if, if nobody's accepting your work, you know, what incentive do you have to continue writing? A lot of times it's harder to find incentive. And what journaling does is journaling to me has an intrinsic value because it's a reflective process. And one of the other huge values of journaling for me is that it, it's a challenge to go deeper into what's really going on for me. It's a challenge to reveal myself more and it's a challenge to be more authentic because no one's watching. It's like, what's the point of not being authentic in your journal? With, you know, who are you trying to impress? And I feel like that really translates to my writing because the more authentic I can be in my writing and the more revealing I can be in my writing, um, the more people like it. And so for me, journal's huge. If you'd like to try out Penzu, um, I recommend it. I have an account myself. It's easy to use. It has a nice, simple design. You can head over to penzu.com, again, P-E-N-Z-U, for a free account. And if you decide to upgrade, use the code DARKEN uh, for $5 off. And now, back to the show. You know, one of the Anyhow. interesting things that I've noticed um, with with journaling is... Um, so, I, you know, I, I never, I, I guess it's with so many options, like what, one of the things I really hear in, in, in the story of what you were talking about when you started writing was that, you know, journaling was really the only way that you could be, you could be a writer for sure without anybody's permission or publishing rights right. or anything. That was really, that was, that was it. And, and that, right. and that provided something really great, obviously. And, and today, you know, I've, I've really been rediscovering the, the, what journaling can do for me as a writer. And it, and it, I think it's, it's, it's interesting because w one of the ways that I use it is for myself is to, you know, if I, I just do a lot of writing that I know I'm going to publish and a lot of writing mm -hmm. that I want to be good and I have standards for. And so to be, to, to be able to do standardless writing and to be able to do writing that, that really has just no impact. You can just let your fingers go and you're just, you know, even if you have nothing to say, then you're right. I have nothing to say. I don't know what to write here, you know, and that you could just really be, right. a, um, you know, free with your expression like that. Um, to me, it almost feels like it's kind of like a, I get to like, war, it's like warming up or it's like, a, you know, it, it's, I'm in the I'm in that flow of of going from head to page and and it really just helps get things going and so the journaling has taken so many different forms for me over the years but it's been really cool lately yeah I well certainly has for me and one thing that I've run up against or ran up against and still do is the conflict between authenticity and excellence and it seems to my years ago I wrote a thing for my newsletter called The Evils of Excellence, and I kind of outlined that the things for me, basically exactly what we've been talking about, how excellence, the, the need to make something meet other people's standards of what is excellent, or even your own inner standards, which may have been internalized or may not have been from the larger society, but that need to be excellent has cramped the uh, fact or lack of it of authenticity. Mm -hmm. So, and I kind of sometimes felt you can't be one without the other. I had a student uh, in, actually, she was my first writing student ever, a lady named Jessie Fogel, and I started 
what I believe to be the first reminiscence writing workshop in the in the planet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's don't be, you know, let's go all the way there. But uh, first reminiscence writing workshop, at least in the country, in my hometown in Kansas, Manhattan, Kansas. Mm-hmm. And this lady was one of, uh, we eventually were able to get eight or nine little old ladies, purple-haired, over 70, most of them, and one old man, and we started that workshop. And Jessie was the only one who would really write. She was 80 at the time. And uh, she just picked up a pen and chugged right down the track, wrote on a big chief tablet. I don't know if you remember those. Mm -hmm. Your grandmother might. But uh, she brought in every week. We met once a week. She'd bring in, gee, three, four, five thousand words. And in no time, she had written her autobiography. Well, she had a big story. Her husband had been a drunk. She had, they had eight children. He was really an abusive jerk and, uh, from the get-go. He would come home drunk with his pals, and they'd sit at the kitchen table at 2 in the morning and get her out of bed and make her fix some breakfast, and they'd sit there and mm-hmm. wet their pants and curse and so on. And he, he, This is awful, but he would get the kids, eight kids, out on the front porch 2 in the morning and make them sing the Star Spangled Banner. Yeah. And, uh, you know, stuff like that. Well, then she finally divorced the guy. And that was a huge thing in that, I think it was the late 20s, maybe the early 30s, to get a divorce was a huge sin. Yeah. And that's hard to believe now you get divorced. You know, the woman divorced an abusive guy and they join a support group and and uh, live happily ever after. But not so with Jessie. She lived with that shame. And when I came along and started that workshop, it was a chance for her to pour that all out. And so she did. Mm-hmm. And uh, the kind of coda to that, and she was a she was an eighth grade graduate, Dave, eighth grade graduate. Mm-hmm. But wow. in those days, eighth graders learned how to write. And she was she had a natural wit and style that she put with it. And uh, it, was, it was a well-written book, 200 and some pages. Mm-hmm. Well, it didn't become a book. It was just a manuscript. But we in those, those days, no, this is 76, no copy shops, really, and uh, no way of easily printing something. But in an honor to her, we took it up to the local college and had the print shop up there, print her, uh, I don't know, 10 or 20 copies. And mm-hmm. She gave them to her. She wanted copies to give to each of her children and grandchildren, and she did that. Mm-hmm. I asked her to give one to me. She did that. And she gave, I said, give one to the library, too. And she did that. And then, uh, you know, and they go, get this a little shorter, why over the next 20 years or so, neighbors read it. And they wanted more. Uh, they wanted a copy to, to pass to their neighbors and so on. So Jesse printed a few more, but not really anything. Then in 91, 1991, I started my little rag, I called it a magazine. Now this would say your little sheet. Mm-hmm. life story and june and i did this and still do it together and uh, i started sending off uh, uh manuscripts letters I, yeah well i was trying to get subscribers for this thing and so i wrote one day to the wall street journal the same lady who wrote this column about me and journaling just last week mm-hmm. uh to claire ansbury because i had seen her byline i didn't know her I've seen her byline on the front page of the Wall Street Journal about aging issues, old people and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I sent it to her, and, and uh, she called me one day. 
and we struck up an acquaintance over the phone, and uh, I started telling her about these students who were writing, and that at that time was just a totally crazy idea. Only a nut like me would have come up with it, and uh, no one was doing that. Everybody you'd mention it to would say, well, why would you want to do that? They don't they don't have anything to say. They're just old people, mm-hmm. you know. And, and, of course, now the world thinks a little differently, I think. But mm-hmm. anyhow, Jesse, uh, I mentioned Jesse, and then Claire came out to Kansas and interviewed Jesse and wrote an article about her. And it was front page, the A1 position. Wow. And in those days, the Wall Street Journal did not ever publish pictures, but they did make an exception in her case. So the thing, the story went all over the world, just everywhere. And uh, Jessie was uh, famous. Uh, We got her an agent, and the book sold for a million-dollar advance. Wow. She got this little old lady who had never had probably more than $25 extra in her entire life. And by this time, she was 97 years old. Oh, my gosh. And and lived in the tiniest house in Manhattan, not as big as the living room I'm sitting in right now. And it the book, uh, she got a million bucks in cash, and uh, the book was printed in 15 languages or something. It went everywhere. And, uh, it was, and it did so much to publicize the idea of seniors, old folks, writing their life story. Mm. But it also raised, the New York Times was very pissed about it in a way, and gave a sort of snide uh, review of this was a laundress. She had worked in a laundry for years in order to support her family. Mm. And uh, it wasn't a professional job, et cetera, et cetera. But it raised the whole question of authenticity versus excellence. Mm -hmm. And uh, which question I've answered for myself and many for many years now, I would prefer authenticity. I don't care how excellently written a novel or an autobiography is, if it's punctuated and all that. I'd go beyond that, you know, good Mm -hmm. imagery, et cetera, and all that kind of thing. But I would rather see something written by a a third-grade graduate, and I have. I've I've seen stuff like that. And so when I sit down to journal, one of the reasons for keeping it private and keeping others out, at least for now. It doesn't mean I can't come along later on with the journal and pull something out of there and, uh, you know, spiff it up as much as I can or just publish it whole cloth. But mm-hmm. I try for, I just want to be Charlie Kempthorne, warts and all. And uh, I've got a lot of warts. <laughs> that's, so that, that's, that's, that's the next, that's the book right there, Charlie Kempthorne, warts and all, right? There. You know, that's the... <laughs> oh boy well i wish i could think of something better than warts but anyhow that's that's the, my journal and it's been it is everybody i've who's written about this thing they've said well it's, he claims it's 10 million words damn it it is 10 million words yeah. it's yeah. twenty thousand plus pages and i'm averaging the 500 it is typed and the yeah. small types not pica and so I'm averaging 500 words per page, probably more like 600. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you know what? If 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 they have to give or take a million, that's fine too. You know, whatever. <laughs> that's fine with me. But twenty thousand times uh, uh, 500 comes out to 10 million. So, yeah. and I'm still alive. I've not written. I've only written about 800 words today. Yeah. But uh, when we 
quit here. I'm going to go right back at it. So tell, and, uh, tell me about, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, uh, tell me about your your daily routine. Do you, do you have uh, some habits that you that you stick to? Or do you just find that it's just yeah. easy at this point to just sit down and write I, whenever you get some time? No, I don't. If I do that, I would end up not writing. I've got to have some rigor in there and routine. And, and mm-hmm. of course, it that uh, connives very nicely with old age anyway, where if you don't get up uh, in the morning and follow a certain routine, uh, you're going to have physical problems. But I get up mm-hmm. usually four, between 4 and 6 a.m., and not always. Sometimes something happens and I just can't. But I get up at that dark hour, make the coffee, and actually my wife kindly makes it the night before, and I just, she grinds it and puts it in there, and I turn it on, I drink the coffee. As I'm writing, I open my laptop and sit right here in the living room and start writing, and I'll write, uh, I want to do the journal on first thing, and I post the journal on on Facebook now, Mm -hmm. and I also post it on my website. And that's 500 words, and it might be 550 or 600, but it's never less than 500 because I tell them if you, you know, I'm trying to get people to journal, and if you start saying I'll accept 499, if they're like me, then the next day it's 480, and pretty right. soon you're not doing it, you know. So you got to cement the habit. And so I write 500 words plus maybe a few, and I might censor that. I don't try to make it better. Uh, in any by any standard, I, I if I write something that's quite personal or clinical, even in an old age, you you have to think about stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I take that out. Or if I say something that's hurtful to somebody who's alive or even their memory, uh, I don't want to do that. I'm not out to get even with anybody, mm-hmm. and uh, so I'll take that out and then I put it in. Uh, as I said, I put it on Facebook on our life story page and I put it in uh, my website and Mm -hmm. that's the first writing I do. Then I'll write usually, you know, have another cup of coffee and I'll write another 500 or uh, get to 1500, stop, eat some breakfast, uh, do some PT and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then in the course of the day, I'll write another 1500 words, Mm -hmm. maybe 500 at a time or whatever. But, that's the routine that works best. I don't always follow it, as I have not today. We went up to Tacoma to see a friend this morning. And mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I haven't done my... Now I'm talking to another friend. Yeah. And I, I like you. You uh, have a lot to say, and somewhere in there uh, we went to the same school somehow. Maybe it was the Navy. What <laughs> yeah. do you think? But, yeah, no, I think But now so. you were an officer. You were an officer, so... Well, you know, uh, I think I think what you're... What, what we're the 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 interesting curiosity in our conversation is a lot of, is a lot i think you've been speaking to it which is this idea that your personal story is really valuable and, and lots of people's personal stories are really valuable but i it's, you know i think i yeah. just i just find that you know your authentic experience of life you know is 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 really cool and 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 of course you know you have yeah. this you know this there's this one thing that makes it you know kind of newsworthy which is this oh 10 million words or you know that journaling every day for right. how many years but it but it's but you know we really haven't talked about that particularly that that's not the thing that's really interesting what's really interesting is is the life lived you know is the life experience right and, and i think that, yeah it's beautiful 
and you know what's come into my life, uh, my thought, my thinking in the last couple of years is, and I've known it all along, but I didn't really put it into words in my own head. But I'm celebrating my life. You know, my, I told Claire didn't say Claire Ansbury, the writer for the journal, didn't say a lot of stuff that I told her. Probably the editor said. Don't put that in. But I've had, as I hinted when I told you about going to Menninger's, I've had a very troubled life. And uh, I don't mean I've been in and out of jail or anything like that. I've had a, you know, moderately successful life, had kids and family and all that stuff, Mm -hmm. but a lot of internal troubles from the Mm get-go. And I've written about that. And I've lived, as I told Claire, I've lived my life upside down and backwards. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, what do you do with experience like that? Where you, you, you know, you have to say, uh, it's, I want to be helpful. I want other people. In fact, when I was about 50 and I was journaling one day and I remember writing this, I can't find it in the journal right now. That's another kind of problem. But I remember writing that at least what I've done with my life and written about it so that I, at least I can be I'm not saying that's quite the, what I mean, but at least I can be as articulate as I can be about the life of a troubled person, mm-hmm. the screwball's life, or whatever you want to call it. Because my mind is, you know, there are a lot of minds out there like this. I'm not the only one, I'm sure. But exploring the mind of a person who is very troubled uh, has surely has to be useful. Mm-hmm. To, the, to others, certainly to my family. Yeah. And so I've written with that in mind, but then somewhere in there, just in the last few years, I've come to feel, hey, I should celebrate this life. Mm. You know, and that I, when I'm writing about uh, some of the stuff that, uh, that I, well, can I read you? It's it, it's not long. It's uh, like 10 lines. Sure. May I do that? It's, I don't have this book out yet, but it's called Kids Stuff, mm-hmm. and it's to my uh, children and uh, the six kids. Uh, this is a, just a little bitty thing. That's, this morning, this is 1985. Mm-hmm. This morning on the way to Tin Man, Rip said, this is, Rip is the 36-year-old man I'm, my wife and I are living with now, he and his mm-hmm. wife and family. Mm-hmm. This morning on the way to Tin Man, Rip said, it would be sort of nice if we just went on living or something very close to that. I can't recall his exact words. I told him, well, Rip, we do in a way. Look, I'll die and you live on, yet you're very much like me in a number of ways. He appeared to soap it up. I'm nearly 50 and still not used to the idea of dying. Well, it's just a little moment. Everybody has moments like that every day. Mm. Not, not uh, you know, I'm not putting myself, certainly it's not, beautiful prose. Certainly it's not deep philosophy, Mm -hmm. but it's just something that went on between me and my youngest son in that one moment back in 1985. And Mm -hmm. to to put that down and celebrate that, not for the world. I mean, if the world wants to read it, (laughs) so be it. That's great. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. But for Rip, for Rip, for that, that lad who's grown up. And my journal is filled with stuff like that. And one other thing, I uh, just you have to flag me down, Dave. <laughs> but one thing to, that's worth saying is that what I try to do in my journal is write narrative, mostly narrative, and not simply summary. 
as you know from your own writing, you've got summary. You know, I grew up in Wisconsin. I moved to North Carolina. Mm -hmm. I joined the Carolina Panthers and blah, blah. Mm -hmm. That's summary. But scene is the the other extreme, the other end of the continuum where you say, uh, in Charlotte, my new boss met me at the bus station and said, come on, Jim, let's go for a ride. And it's like a movie, Mm -hmm. you know. And that's what I try to get people to do in these workshops. Think of your life as a series of scenes, like a movie, and uh, just let it go. Put in the conversation as best you can remember it. Put in description a little bit, you know, the whole schmear. Don't just summarize it. But if they just summarize it, most of them will want to do some of that. That's okay, too. But the more specific the narrative can be, the better. And that's it makes it truer, mm-hmm. you know. If I say it's a great life, well... Maybe that's true. Maybe it isn't. Mm-hmm. But if I say, I went for a walk this morning and I saw a butterfly and I saw an old man and a little boy walking along and so on and so forth, you can see, well, it is a great life. You can feel that, mm-hmm. you know. So that's yeah. the kind of journaling that I try to do, and I don't always do it. I get involved in whining about a third of that entire 10 million words. <laughs> Maybe it's whining, you know. Oh, my back, oh, my front, oh, my this, oh, my that. Why is the world so cruel to Charlie Kempthorne, that poor guy? You know, it's crap like that. Mm -hmm. But some of it, maybe a third that's about my family, especially about my family and my friends, too, to some extent, is, is, uh, well, I think it's pretty good Mm -hmm. for them. I'm not saying it's uh, Scribner's isn't going to call me and and, uh, publish it, but it's good, good for me. Mm-hmm. Well, I've got I've got one uh, question that I'd like that I usually end the show with that I want to ask you. Um, and uh, the question is, if you could write yourself uh, a note and give it to uh, yourself back in time, and you could even you can choose when when you'd want to how far back you'd want to <laughs> go. Um, but if you could really just write yourself something that that you would receive at at, at some point in your life in the past. Um, what would you What would you say to yourself? You, and now let me uh, let me understand this. You're saying write to myself something like a sort of advice to Charlie 50 years ago. Yeah. What would you that, want? What would you want Charlie 50 years ago if you could just write him anything? What would you say? Shut up and listen. That's what I would say. I think. I mean, that's. I would say a lot of things, but if I take your drift, what would you do differently? Is that well, that, that, what, you know, tell me about that. So we, that would show up on the note, and and why would you want Charlie, fifty years ago, to hear that? Well, uh, because assuming he would listen a, to that, but you know, <laughs> yeah, right, which is an unwarranted assumption. But you know, uh, I was told so much. I, I I've seen so much. I've lived thousands of days, and so much was Henry James. Once I'm interrupting myself. That's our dog. But Henry James once said to advising writers, and I'm not a James fan, but he mm-hmm. did say one thing, right? And he said, be the kind of person upon whom nothing is lost. Be the kind of person upon whom nothing is lost. Mm-hmm. Well, some things weren't lost on me, but an awful lot of things were. 
You know, and I don't mean just advice like my dad told me to save your money, Charlie, and put a little away each week. I mean just some experience you went through and you sat there and looked at it and somehow it didn't register. It might have been someone kissing his wife goodbye or maybe a fist fight in a bar or, gosh, that I, I don't know, I want to ask you about your time. You were in four years, right, in the Navy, mm-hmm. something like that, and yeah. Did you ever write about Have you written much about the Navy? You know, mm-hmm. Think of all the stuff we did and uh, how much did we record and I, uh, how much did we even listen to or so that today we might remember it. And uh, I regret a lot of that stuff and I would write to my, that's among other things that I would say, but just Charlie, you know, close your mouth and, and listen a mm-hmm. little bit more mm-hmm. to others and to, to your own mind. Mm-hmm. Listen to what's going on in your own mind. There are eight or ten people up there talking all at once. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, anyway, I don't know if that is what you... That's great. Really well, you know what? I, I, and I think, um, you know, certainly from my perspective, uh, you seem to have lived that quote, being, being the kind of person upon whom nothing is lost. And I can see how well, you've been able to share that message with others and helping them be the kind of people for whom well, at least less is lost, right? Yeah, you I know? think that's a better qualified a little <laughs> bit. I, and you know, here's a, another maybe closing thought, uh, but uh, uh, people are amazed when, uh, well, I did a workshop in San Diego for 20 years ago. I'll get down there again someday and maybe we'll meet. But, uh, get these people in a workshop and they'll say one of the defenses they have against writing is I can't remember anything. So you say, okay, write down, uh, this morning I went, well, let's go back in time. Let's don't do this morning. Let's just say, sit down and write in 1947, I was living and then stop there. And then if you don't have the next phrase within a split second, something's wrong because you're going to say, well, in 47, I lived on the farm in Kansas, mm-hmm. and my dad was a doctor in town, and pretty soon they look up at me and smile, and they're going lickety-split writing. Mm-hmm. And so the, my, the point I'm trying to make, Dave, is that the more you write, the more, and try to remember, the more you remember. Mm-hmm. The more you remember, the more you remember, and it's, a, it's, it's great to have that happen, and it's a wonderful honor to be a teacher who uh, seems to have a part in making that happen, so. Uh, that's fun. That's fun. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I enjoyed uh, talking to Charlie. If you want to find out more about Charlie and see some of his journal, he actually puts it all online now. It's really cool. I just finished reading a bunch of it. Um, You can go to thelifestoryinstitute.com and you can reach Charlie there. You can contact him um, and uh, make sure if you want to see show notes for this, I'll put the link to his website in darkenthepage.com slash 054 and um, just really appreciate uh, all the support for the show. Sorry I haven't been posting a lot lately. Kind of going down to about once a month these days and uh, but I've got some really excited episodes coming up for you. So thanks again. If you want to reach me, darkenthepage at gmail.com is the way to do it. And until next month, go make great art.